Welcome to Unlock Your Magic, the podcast all about living authentically and doing life on your own terms. My name is Christine, I'm your host, and I invite you to come on a journey with me to discover what it means to live an authentic life, looking at the messy bits of how to get there, and hopefully picking up some tips and tricks along the way so that you can start living life as your truest self. Welcome to another episode of Unlock Your Magic. And today's guest is Lydia Campbell, who is a coach, a facilitator, a mystic, and a mother. And she works as a mentor and guide for master teachers, coaches, and leaders. She has been on the leading edge of transformational leadership for work for over 15 years. And her work blends ancient wisdom with modern well-being research and a healthy dose of no BS real-life grit. And I have had the honor of walking alongside Lydia for a while now, and there's so much more to her than this little paragraph. And I'm just really delighted to have her here and have this conversation. And yeah, welcome, Lydia. Oh, thank you. I'm just letting your words drop in and through. And I'm sitting here beaming at you in your power, doing your work in the world with such clarity and grace and humility. And just thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for showing up. Yeah. And, you know, I want to actually, you know what, I was, I was thinking of how to start this. And I think the, the one thing I should mention is that we're actually recording this on the 17th of March, which is St. Patrick's Day, which obviously for anyone in the world knows it's St. Patrick's Day. But interestingly enough, Lydia and I have a very, I think, or especially Lydia has a very different relationship to this day because she works with a lot of ancient wisdom, the indigenous um, Celtic culture and, and wisdom. And so there's a different different energy around that for for her, and also um, what she hasn't kind of mentioned before here is that she lives actually quite isolated in the mountains of Wicklow, um, which is a beautiful beautiful county in Ireland. But also she works with like in order to work with a lot, and maybe you know I'd love to maybe start there and dive into because she's had a really amazing experience just recently which we want to bring into this conversation too but maybe start with that of how does that living on that land and working with land and how does how has this brought you to who you are today in this in this form in this iteration right now mm-hmm. What makes you authentic in this moment in time? Mm. Gorgeous. Um, I love that you started by just presenting where we are in time, in linear time. Um, and I think it's a perfect place to start, particularly this week, after the um the sort of paddywhackery crap that was um <laughs> You know, part of the, the Oscars monologue and SNL over the last week, we've seen just the stereotyping of the old, um, very unhealthy, quite traumatic experience of the Irish overseas brought onto the global stage. And what I'm loving about it, though, is it's it's provoking conversation around how we are so much more than that now. 
Um, and polarity will do that. As we see, like we're living in a time of where there's a lot of polarity in the world being highlighted, but the beauty of it is it, it forces the, the polar opposite of it to, to break through, to emerge. Um, and we're close to spring equinox, which is the time of seasonal polarity that we get gifted with twice a year. Here's the light and here's the shadow. <laughs> so just, yeah, thanks for starting my presence in us here and now. Um, and what I've learned from, from my teachers in the Celtic shamanic ways is that um, actually another story of St. Patrick, uh, the myth of St. Patrick um, is that by driving the inverted commas snakes out of Ireland, what it actually was is it was early Christianity driving the natural medicine of this land out of this land. It was um, the early colonization of, of the Irish land. Um, so the snake being the symbol of the caduceus, you know, the modern symbol of medicine, um, was when Christianity, so St. Patrick's driving snakes out, was Christianity driving the, the way of Celtic indigenous medicine the way of earth medicine off, off this land and bringing in this, um, yeah, just the other approaches to life and culture and language, um, and connection with self and spirit that, that began to come in with early Christianity and was just compounded by all the colonizers that this land has experienced ever since. Um, so I like to think of today as welcoming back the snake's day. Uh, we want to we want the snake medicine to return to this land um yeah i don't you know that there's there's massive rabbit holes down all of that but yeah just celebrate welcoming back the snakes today mm. and also how does it then relate to you right because that's it's a really big part of the work that you do it's, yeah. it's bringing the snakes back it's bringing the the wisdom that has been not for well forgotten but underlying yeah and, and underneath it all it's still there and you're one of the the people that helps bring that out yeah so the the story of the snake that i love is that the snake lock gets itself locked in between two two rocks or two stones and it jams its head and it cuts the side of its mouth off the stone and then slides forwards out of its old skin. And then for the couple of weeks after that, it is incredibly vulnerable. It's skinless. So on the one hand, it's incredibly vulnerable and needs to be very careful and wary of itself at all times. But the beauty of that time is it is so close to the land. It's like literally, I imagine it like lying on its side like it can feel everything that's happening in the land through its entire body. So it can tell when a predator is near, but it can tell when food is near. It can listen to the heartbeat of the earth that bit more closely. And I take great inspiration from that. Like I want to live more closely to the land to I want to live more intimately with life with you and I in relationship in this moment mm -hmm. I want to 
hear the whisper of my soul as it comes in in meditation just like a, a feather landing on a lake is how someone described it to me. I want to be able to show up in my work and feel what's happening in the unsaid spaces between my clients' words so that I can go in there and serve them that way. Um, and embodiment and integrity is really, really fucking important to me. So how do I do that? Well, I've actually go, got to go and live and live what it is I'm talking about, um, which is, yeah, living on the land. Um, I'm incredibly privileged to live on the side of Scar Mountain. Scar meaning jagged edge. I live on the north face of Scar Mountain overlooking Lockdown in the, in the bowels of Wicklow. Um, I was invited to live here by the land and by my family. I initially said no to my family because I was like, who needs, who needs to live with my son? Right beside um, family of origin and just like keep all of the stuff that, you know, you deal with with family of origin live and awake and stir the pot every day. I'm like, I did not do 20 years of therapy and healing and trauma work and shadow work to go and like get right back into the fire. But then I realized actually the land said to me, you did 20 years of therapy and trauma work and shadow work in order to get your ass back here onto the land in close proximity with the amazing people who brought you into this world. And they get to be there as the, um, as the wise and slightly nutty, sometimes eccentric elders for your son. And you get to live here in paradise. Yeah, and it is paradise. I, I, I have the privilege to kind of be up there. It is absolute paradise up there, I have to say. it's, But it's so beautiful to, you know, hear you say this with the knowledge that you're going to be in the fire. There's going to be a lot of fire that, that's surrounding you. But to me, I see you then as being able to stand in your power, in your authenticness. And ever-evolving authenticness um, to navigate that and to to be taught, to teach. That's kind of what I see. And I, I'd love to, to kind of maybe dive into that a little bit. And like, how does that feel? How does how, how is Lydia in the moment now, having done all this work, this 20 years of trauma therapy and all that stuff, how does Lydia stay herself navigating this at the moment. So it's not me doing it. So what I adopted, and I'm in the early stages of it, so it's still quite clunky, you know, when you learn something new or you start to integrate boundaries and you're like really spiky for the first while while it's kind of clunky and settling in. So I'm only, I'm only a couple of years in but I'm consciously holding a non-human centric perspective, mm -hmm. a land centric perspective. So it was the land that said to me, if you like, we're offering you paradise. If you can't handle it because of your human centricityness, and I'm not bypassing anything here. Um, but that's on you. That's on you as first person human, mm -hmm. but we're inviting you to come here and experience another way of being 
in the in the world in the land so i'm like okay i'll i'll play i'll play with that um so i kind of i i hold these parallel perspectives one is obviously me lydia first person my nervous system my story my embodied experience um my beliefs my desires my traumas all of that my story but then i am also always asking myself like what's the land telling me what's the land living through me what is life wanting to live through this experience of this lydianness and by allowing the land to inform me and infuse my decision making and then i've decided to show up for it mm-hmm. and commit to what i hear it says it it say and you know some people have their guides and their angels or whatever that they follow you know um and i have the la- so i'm choosing to work with the land as a conscious active entity in my relationship with life so for example and over time as i'm following it it is proving itself to me because mm. i you know like i'm still a human in this world i you know i still have a brain that needs to be convinced and conditioned um but yeah like i remember two years ago i was going to go to london for about a week to meet with the a bunch of clients and do and do a bunch of work there run workshops and i was thinking of flying out on a thursday and on the monday morning i woke up and everything in me my body um was receiving this echo from the land of just no you're not going you're not getting on that plane mm. i was like okay this is where the rubber hits the road mm-hmm. so i canceled the trip and at the time i was just coming out of a three four year high conflict divorce and there were some decisions that i needed to make at the end of that process and that weekend <clears throat> i made a really key the, the weekend that i ended up here sitting on the couch and not running a workshop in london a really key piece of the next step of my life dropped in and and it, and it came in through like literally I was like mindlessly like you know searching online or scrolling like I wasn't like sitting looking for inspiration um but I I trust I choose to believe that it came in because it was like I was there I was open I was ready I was receptive so back to your question of like how do I sort of navigate all of this um it's not just me I'm working with source and I'm receptive to what the land wants to share. And here's the thing. I really feel like the land is dying for us to love it. Like the trees are like, you just come hang out here. Just sit under me in silence for like, you know, six weeks or six months or six minutes, whatever. Like it's dying for us to just listen, listen and love Mm -hmm. and be an offering to and devotion with rather than taking and abusing it that like we all do um but having that trust and having that 
relationship with again like i said other others have guides other you know whatever whatever you choose and i very much relate to the land because i i too am the happiest and the most connected with myself and everything else on the land and on in in specifically forests but that is very multicultural and and takes a lot of courage like i mean even taking the courage to be to say look i have all this work planned out in um london and i'm called to actually call it off our brains our conditioned humanness is truly telling us to well, no, 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 you can't do that because X, Y, and Z, because what will other, all these kind of things. Mm. And, and that's the part I think that I'm really interested in how, how did you get here? How did you <laughs> develop that trust and that connection and that ability to drop in and kind of say, no, this is what I need to do. No matter what anyone else on the outside says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is, these are the indigenous ways. Um, there is an inherent animism in all beings, in all, in all things. The mountain is alive with the bones of my ancestors. The stones are gifts from the past. The trees are my friends. Um, so I, I, that, that, that is how I, um, that's, that's the view that I hold of the world and in there is time. Um, you know, the, the Greeks spoke of this, the Greeks had two times. They had Kronos, which is linear time and they had Kairos, which is cyclical time. And in our indigenous ways, we work with, we work with both. So we have the beautiful markers of linear time of the sun and the moon in relationship with the earth and we're able to mark our journey through 3d time and space and we need that so like you and me show up at this podcast at 10 a.m on 17th of march 2023 and we get to be here at the same time because we have a shared understanding of this linear time and then while we're here in connection we can drop we can drop as, as deep as we want we can drop to other worlds um if they will have us mm-hmm. So this kind of relationship with, with linear and cyclical time, along with the, the animism of absolutely everything, the conscious sentience of every being, of everything, um, is, is, is how I, is how I view the world. Um, but you asked how I got here and I suppose, um, I was looking to interject here, actually, I think go for it. Um, what you've just said, we're kind of dropping into a different time. Maybe that actually leads into your recent, most recent experience. Yeah. Um, because it, you've just, you've spent, um, a month in, oh, sorry, not a month, four days in absolute pitch black darkness. Yeah. And obviously your linear time is going to com- completely go diluted. And so maybe that's an entryway to that. Um, and then we'll, we'll circle back. Sure. Or maybe we won't. <laughs> maybe they won't, and that's okay. Um, yeah, so... Oh, oh my God, Jean, I just... 
yeah, I came out of it just highly, highly, I highly recommend it to anyone who feels called to, uh, who feels called to um, have a, a reset, a great reset, <laughs> to use a pretty controversial phrase of the day. Um, but so I went on a darkness retreat or a darkness return because you're not retreating from anything. You're returning to the essence of yourself and your relationship with all things. Um, went to a place in South, in France, in Lyon, and it's connected up with a, a yoga teacher training school. So I was feeling nervous and very vulnerable going in and looking for a, a setup that was robust enough, that I felt was robust enough, not just like someone's shed with like blacked out windows. And that could really support, that could support me. So I figured, okay, these guys have been doing it for years and it's part of a larger practice. And it was, so it was amazing. Uh, they were very good. But essentially, so what did, I'll start off by just sort of describing the setup. Because people are always asking like, how'd you brush your teeth? And like, how'd you wipe your bum? And <laughs> so what actually looks like is um, like a studio, like a bed sit set up, kitchen, bathroom, bed, and then some floor space, yoga mat, blankets, um, and completely, completely and utterly pitched out black. So you can't even see the hand on your face, in the hand in front of your face. You don't know where your body ends and the darkness begins. You don't know. I couldn't tell where the darkness inside me ended and the darkness outside of me began. And I was in for four days and four nights. Um, you're fed through a hatch. <laughs> so like a double, yeah, like so I'll see any of the practical questions. But like you're fed through this double-sided hatch, both of which are completely blacked out. So I would hear her coming and then she'd leave the food through um, into the hatch and I would wait for her to go and I would like shuffle straight over because I, I wanted to always eat it hot. And it's served, a lot of it's kind of gloop, um like easy to eat, shall we say. And um, came in Tupperware, glass Tupperware with a lid and your spoon and your napkin is on top. And you just like carry it and then shuffle over to the table. And so it was the longest four days of my life and it also flew by. Mm. I thought I wanted to be in complete unknown uh, in terms of time passing, but actually there was a village church nearby and we could hear it and I have to say it was a lifesaver yeah I can think of yeah I can imagine because like I was just saying before like the reality is we are in linear time and cyclical time mm -hmm. so the the being my being got a lot of comfort from hearing it but yeah I, I um where I don't know where to start or where to end. I suppose I'll start with just how I how I am now. Um, mm. I left the darkness with a profound. It was very profound and very simple. It left me with this feeling of assurance in my life choices. Um, so like you and perhaps you know many of your listeners, I'm the seeker type. Uh, but it's always carried a certain restlessness inside me as well. And that restlessness has settled to rest. That sort of seeking 
the seeking has been satiated. Oh God, my mom would love all this alliteration. <laughs> and I, I left with this feeling of deep acceptance that the foundations and the infrastructure that I've laid in my life are all in alignment. Everything is in its rightful place. Mm. Nothing needs to change and I need to show up and keep showing up. Mm. So like the first night, what we're advised to do is we, uh, we black out all the, the windows are all blacked out. We leave the light on and we sort of settle ourselves. And I went into the darkness on Thursday night, last night, three weeks ago, actually. And we light a candle and then we turn off the lights and then it's just you and the candle. And you know that when that candle goes out, it's, there's a whole other world that opens up. And that yeah. moment of blowing out the candle, whoosh, like, yeah, it took, a, it took a lot of preparation to do that. Mm. I was doing it with a friend and he was in the apartment underneath me. So it was so wonderful just knowing he was there shuffling around as well. Um, mm. And so we prepped each other beforehand and then we were able to integrate with each other afterwards. It was beautiful. Um, and the light goes out and it's just like, like I sort of shuffled off to bed and was like, okay, so this is happening. <laughs> and then I slept a lot. So the first thing that happens is you're disconnecting from the circadian rhythm. Yeah. Your brain gets flooded with melatonin and you sleep a lot as much as your body needs to. So, uh, sorry to all the moms out there, but I slept like 16 hours a day um, <laughs> for three days and then not so much on the fourth day. But as, as a solo parent, there was deep wells of fatigue in my body that had never been touched. They had never been met. Yeah. Um, so it was amazing just to be able to, to, to meet the body and to give the nervous system this like ginormous exhale. So I left feeling very rested and like um, a kernel of vitality that I hadn't really connected with for years was was awoken oh my god the dreams so yeah i was gonna ask about your psyche and your and your being because I, I if i kind of think of that it'd be like oh my like you really i suppose meet do you meet yourself there is nothing else other than yourself yeah exactly yes so i said to someone like i either meditated loads or i hardly meditated at all because the entire thing is a meditative practice. Yeah. So it's, yeah, so like I can kind of split it into like the first day, my psyche was, it was all shame. Mm. The second day was all creativity and the third day was all gratitude. Mm. So I woke up the first morning and there's this nothing that happens where like your eyes open, but because it's pitch dark, <laughs> um, nothing changes other than what the hell do I do now? How do right. I orient when there's no nothing external to orient around? Um, so I'd be having dreams. The dreams were very, they were like mini movies. They had narration. 
they had a clear beginning, middle and end. And then they kind of popped out this learning or insight at the end of it. Um, so I'd wake in the morning and this happened two out of three of the mornings where I would wake, but I was in the middle of a dream. And then my, so I'd wake and my eyes would open, but because there's darkness, the dream doesn't get interrupted. So the dream kept on going, but in front of my eyes. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This like real distinction between I, the eye that is awake and the mind having the dream. Mm. I got to really distinguish between like the different parts of me. And then I would choose to maybe move my body. So now there's a third part of me in the mix. Mm. So yeah, it, so it, it was it was brilliant for that. And it got me thinking of like how much is all this, uh, the light, the light's so inconvenient because it's just, it's disturbing this, the, the inner experience. Mm. So day one, the kind of the shame cycle, literally, it's like my mind just went through this audit of everything in my life, every relationship, every project, every client, every decision. And it just, again, there was nothing to disrupt it. So it just rat, it cycled itself out. But what I was shown was the project, the medicine for me that day was like, oh, this is where I fucked up. This is where I didn't show up properly. This is where I let someone down. Um, and as a recovering avoidant, there's truth in a lot of that. But there's the, there's the experience, then there's the judgment of the experience, and then there's the shame of the judgment. Oh, the experience. I, yeah. And I got to just um, marinate in the shame for the day. Mm. But because I was in the darkness, my awareness was massive. So my awareness could hold the fact that I was in a shame spiral or shame pools. And it never got too much for me. It never dipped into something that felt uncomfortable. Well, no, it was uncomfortable. That felt too uncomfortable. Um, it, ne it was never triggering. It was just like this big accepting pool of um, of this like life orders. And then what happened was everything just ran itself out. It was like, and then what, and then what, and so what, and then what. And then it just got to the bottom of the barrel of that particular story. And then I'd circle back and there'd be another one and another one. But the whole day was like that. My whole like, relationship with like my son's father, my divorce, my relationship with my parents, my relationship with my partner now, like all my friendships, my relationship with the land here, all of it. It just, it was like a big washing machine. But because none of it was disturbed, it got it was like the deepest part of my psyche got to show me what it wanted to show me. And then as a result, it lost its charge. It was like, okay. And I was thinking like, even on a um, silent meditation retreat, you're still disturbed by maybe guidance or lunchtime or other people. Like in the darkness, you're on your own. So it's, it, you know, it's a solo. Mm -hmm. And so the power of that, it created an awful lot of space which then kicked into day two of creativity. And I was on my, so I was in the pitch dark, like just scribbling, trying to write in like block capitals so that I could read it. And 
And I just got loads of ideas. And I was like, oh my God, this inspiration and creativity is available at all times. All I need to do is like sit in the darkness and I, and I get answers. Um, actually, yeah, there's two things that I, that I want to tell you about. So one is connection. So part of why I wanted to go into the darkness is, um, so our Celtic ancestors, they used to do initiations around meeting the spirit of your death. Mm -hmm. The idea being that if you meet the spirit of your death and you engage with it, you can then spend your life more awake and alive, not afraid of death, but you are in constant engagement with your death, knowing that it is inevitable. So why not start the dialogue now? Yes. And so how they would do that is they would be buried underground for four days and four nights fasting with just a reed to breathe through. There are parts of the world, and I've, I've spoken to indigenous folk who still do practice practices like this, but in, in absolute discretion um, and privacy. Yeah. Um, so it's, so I wanted to touch on an experience like that. And because our Celtic culture is, it's not a living culture. Like I don't, I don't have places where, you know, I'll be held in circle by my elders mm -hmm. in spring equinox to go and do this. So it's like, we kind of have to cultivate it ourselves. Um, and actually, and there's a, I feel a deep loneliness in that, in that fact. Um, yeah, I'm longing for connection and community for us to be in ritual together. Um, yes. But anyway, that's, an, that's another story. So, so the, the, sort of the, the Celtic belief was like the, the body lives in the soul. The soul doesn't live in the body. The Say body, that again. Yeah. So the soul doesn't live in the body mm. or doesn't just live in the body. Yes. The body lives in the soul. Yeah. And I wanted to drop into the darkness in order to meet the whisper of my soul. So I was sitting there um, in deep openness and receptivity. And I asked, I was like, I'm, okay, I'm dropping into meditation and I'm asking to meet my soul. I was kind of scared. It's like asking to meet like aliens or, you know, like I know I am living a, a soulful life and I feel aligned, but I, I don't have that kind of dualistic connection with guides or spirit or my soul or these things outside of me. Um, mm. It's always just sort of run through me first. I only ever have a first person experience. Um, and after a while in the darkness and the stillness, I got this like this voice, but it came through like a white capital futuristic font. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought you'd like that. <laughs> I'm a very visual person, so yes, I, I love that. <laughs> and I started to just engage with it and it was like kind of an ask me anything set up. Nice. And I, and I got to just ask it like, I was like, what's the nature of my relationship with this person? What's the nature of my relationship with that person? What's my work in the world? And it just became this like quick fire Q&A. Mm. And, and then 
I was like, how do I know when I'm in connection with my soul? And it said, when you're in your body, you're in your soul. There. Because, yeah, all the things that you've described, and I, I don't want to necessarily interrupt, but that's basically, I think, what we're all trying to do. Right. But I think that's, that's and partly why I, I started this podcast, because it's how do we get rid of the noise of the distraction of all of that to connect with our soul? So that we can live our soul's purpose or live according to what we are here to do or who we're meant to be, because it's not always that we're meant to do something. Yeah. And for me, then I finished that sentence with, so that as a human, I'm feeling fulfilled. Mm. And I came out of the darkness with an answer to that question. The answer to the how for me now is put on a blindfold and sit still. Yeah. Or put on a blindfold and move your body. Mm -hmm. That I've started stretching and doing my practice with a blindfold on. Mm. Game changer. Yeah, I've done that with my students too. Well, just close your eyes, even though that light still comes through. But you know, I, I've 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 done that, and it's it's amazing because it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, the outside world doesn't you know the the shape and form doesn't matter what it looks like and and. It's just you and you. It's just you and you. And in the darkness, there was this, there was, it was like, it was me in the darkness, but because you, I couldn't tell where one ended and one began. Yeah. It's, it's a practice in singularity. Yeah. Like here, like we're in this, as soon as the eyes are open or we have a sensory experience, we're in this world of duality or like, you know, if you're outdoors on solo retreats, meditation retreats, nature quests, vision quests, like I'm in dialogue with the tree. I'm in dialogue with the land. I'm in reverence to the lake. There's, there's a duality there. I'm in dialogue with. And the separateness or a sensed, a sensed separateness, which yeah. brings us back to where you started of you wanting to be living with the land in in accord like in with one with the land really yes and what i experienced in the darkness was by not knowing where one ends and one begins it's all one experience mm. it's like it's it's a practice it's an experiment it's an experience in singularity the closest i've been able to get um, outside of actual like deep kind of, you know, oneness meditations where you kind of explode into awareness. Um, but it's an, and after four days of that embodied experience of singularity, it, it changed, it has changed something in me. Yeah. I don't know what, but I want to, I want to do it every year. It's like mm. this, yeah, it's a massive reset. Mm. Um, and I suppose from a, from a point of view of living authentically, what I'm hearing is it's more of a coming home and can I be in myself, like, cause we still all have this human experience and as much as we want to live in the 40 and the 5D and in the, in, in, and all of that, we are still in 
the human body and the human experience in the in the relational experience mm-hmm. that comes with trickiness and comes with uncomfortableness and comes with having to show up in in certain ways and my question hearing all of this my question is how are you going to and you may not have the answer to that and that's okay how are you going to bring this newfound awareness and knowledge and feeling of what it probably is authenticity as much as you know it or kind of your soul how do you how are you going to bring that into the world going forward and integrating can i answer and say i'm not (laughs) absolutely yes um (laughs) so on the one hand, that experience gave me a deep trust in myself and in what's happening. Um, but then the other side of that is it also just simplified things for me to just not, I don't have to try so hard. Everything is okay. Of course, I have to show up for my work in the world um, and serve the liberation of humanity from the shackles of separation and oppression um absolutely and and at the same time so these are different perspectives sort of the cosmic perspective is everything is okay the shamanic perspective is nothing needs to happen And what enables me to say that is the only thing, the only way that I can feel comfortable saying nothing needs to happen is as long as I know I'm showing up a hundred percent for what's in front of me in the 3D, that I'm like kind and loving and sacredly generous in my daily life, that I don't let red flags slide, that I call in and call out the best in myself and in others and that I, sh- that I show up with love and commitment and deep reverence for this planet and those of us who get to hang out on it for this little while. So it's, it's both and. Um, yeah. But I think that is authenticity. Yes, that that is a word. But I think that's the way you show up and I've I've had the privilege of walking alongside you for a while now and, and seeing you in action and seeing you show up for difficult conversations I mean you and I had difficult yeah. conversations and you've taught yeah. me so much about showing up with all of it and 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 having the and it's this and not or so and I think a lot of people listening maybe just I think the the what what comes to me is that we're we're so afraid, mm-hmm. right? We're so afraid, and like, as you kind of said earlier with uh, the Celtic tradition of the of the conversation with the death, which yeah. is why I've started this right. because I had conversations with the death, and like, how can I live more, and how can I show up in this life fully and truthfully and 
authentically. I think most of us are so afraid to get it wrong of making mistakes, of screwing things up. But here's the thing, we're all going to screw up. But can we own that? Can we show up for it? And can we learn from it and navigate it to, oh, okay, this happened, but now, now I know I can do better. Even like, even just that line of, um, like, can we get it wrong? Like that, it's so weird that you say that, like, that's one of the, the kind of core wounds that I have. Every relationship I've ever been in right back to when I was like, you know, two i can remember hearing it from my parents like you always have to be right you always have to be right i had never had any idea what they were speaking about until the last six months i've been working with it and i've had like this deep fear of being wrong in relationship mm -hmm. because i'm you know because we're afraid that like if we're wrong we're not perfect you'll leave me and my story was and i'll be i'll be left and i'll die alone on the side of a mountain like that yeah. was just that's where my little story went Yep. Um, and it's such, oh, I can even feel my throat closing in. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah, there's just such a contraction around, like, I will do anything I can. A part of me will do anything it can to not be wrong because mm -hmm. that is so inherently dangerous. Mm -hmm. And there's loads of, there's story, there's, physiology there's trauma responses in there all of that juicy stuff yeah and ultimately it's like that the, both the threat and the joy of being in connection the threat and the joy of being seen by another um because if we're really seen then we've got to show up and there's responsibility and duty in that mm -hmm. and it's fucking terrifying Oh, yes. Because you've nowhere to hide. Yes. And this brings me back to like the, the ancient ways of our culture and our communities where people didn't have to go through experiences alone. They actually had nowhere to hide. We sat in circle, at, you know, weekly, monthly, bi-monthly, whatever the, the scheduling around the, the moon and the sun was or the placement on the land or the season or the time of year. We sat in circle. And we were seen and nothing was missed in the village. The <laughs> elders were tracking the young folk as they moved through and through initiation stages. They were tracking when couples got together and how they were. There was support around them. And we don't have that now. Like I'm a coach and a facilitator. And I'm literally like, I'm like, people pay me because we don't have wise elders that we can go to. I'm not yeah. saying I'm a wise elder, but it's like, but people like me who do the work I do with that's, we're filling that void because it doesn't exist in our culture anymore. And we just want to be seen, but the, the threat of being seen and getting it wrong is so great yeah. because there's just a void out there on the edge of the village. There's no one out there to hold us and to shepherd us back into the fold. Yeah. It's such a, it's yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, that's all I think what that, that it comes down for all of us, all of our wounding, all of that, I think comes down to that of being cast out of the village, of dying on our own. And 
inherently not being accepted for who we are. Yeah. And I think that's why so many folk have so much trouble living this living in this world the way they're meant to. Meant. Or in and meant to in in, in every commas, right? Exactly. Like and meant to. Um but but truthfully to themselves. So they were putting on all these masks and layers upon us to kind of navigate and shift and I, I call it the chameleon and, and we become this chameleon through this world to navigate to like skirt through the edges and, and you know not be seen for who we truly are whereas if we started to embrace all of that and there's bigger conversations obviously a system like systemic and the patriarchy and all of that is in there but that is one of my aims, I think, in this world to help people come back to themselves and find themselves and starting to blossom in who they are. That's a beautiful aim, and I can, and you're living it. Well, I don't know about that, but when you are, but it's beautiful to to hear your experience, and and maybe it is a matter of that we need to go into darkness. If the if you're called, if you're listening to this and you're called to that, hit me up. I'll tell you exactly. You know, get in touch with Lydia. And yeah, unfortunately, our time is is pretty much nearly up. And I know you and I could talk for hours and hours and hours. But I suppose the the one thing I want to maybe give our listeners is what's the kind of one piece of little advice of nugget that in all your lived experience on, the, on this planet, in this moment in time, knowing that in six months time and maybe completely different, that you could give them that are starting out on this journey, that are on this journey of coming home? Uh, yeah, it'd probably be different in six hours time. Yes. Um, Five minutes, two minutes. Yeah. So... On the on the tail end of this conversation that we've just had, and thank you for your gorgeous probing and inquiring. I'm sitting here on the side of the mountain, looking out at the woods and the rain, and the, like at the water laden leaves. And so, for someone starting out on this journey, I would say, step outside, get outside onto the land, and. Here's the thing, being with the land does not need to be another to-do list. You don't need to do a course in herbalism or learn how to forage or learn how to forest bathe or that all of those things are brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But if you're starting out this journey of coming home to self, here's the thing, the land is not a passive Mm. being, it's active. You get to be passive on it. So you get to sit or lie or walk on the land and not, you don't have to meditate. You don't have to set an intention. You don't have to do anything. You just get to be there and receive and it is going to be active and proactive in your healing and in your journey. So I would say get outside onto any, onto earth, right? Anywhere. If it's a park, 
if it's a tree in a car park. And listen, receive. You don't have to understand the tree and try to talk to it. You don't have to know the wisdom or the gifts of the seasons and the cycles and what might mean when the tree's doing that and not that. All of that might come. Amazing. But let it come from your direct experience of being loved by the tree. Not reading in a book or learning on a course what happens when. Again, all of that is absolutely fine. But direct first person experience of being loved and actively engaged with by the land, I think that is, that's a kernel that I would offer now because down that track, what you're doing is you're seeding a non-human centric perspective. You're seeding the, the gifts of land, earth-based consciousness. You're starting to see a whole paradigm shift by allowing yourself to be held by something that you don't understand, by the land, which is inherently benevolent and loving. Beautiful. So because we're still in the 3D world, yeah. <laughs> how can people find you? How can people work with you? What's the best way? Yeah. So I'm all about the 3D. Like this is where we're <laughs> hanging out. This is where like pleasure lives in my body. I'm all about it. Mm. Um, yeah. Come find me online. Lydia.ie as my website, Instagram. Come say hello. Um, I welcome these conversations. I welcome these explorations, curiosities. And I love to work with people who are also doing this work, um, supporting them as a mentor, as a guide, as, um, as a handrail for other people in the world who are really like teaching and bringing this work out. I know what it takes and all the different dimensions and levels that it takes to hold space for people who are starting to explore this work. You're looking at container, you're looking at environment, you're looking at intention, group dynamics, shadow work, cultural shadow. All of it comes into this space for when you're teaching this work. So I love to support teachers and masters and coaches who are themselves doing this work also. And yeah, we're all just walking each other home. <laughs> Thank you, Lydia. Such a pleasure and honor. And yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, team. Shine on. Thank you for listening to another episode of Unlock Your Magic. If you like this episode, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave us a review. These small actions help us immensely since we're an independent podcast without any sponsorship. See you next time.